Today I'll be reading Psalms 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteousness flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit at old age, and they are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Uh, I have some images that I want to show you that might describe the way that some of you are feeling. So here's the first image, right? That might be how parents feel as their kids are going back to school. I, you know, I know some people maybe are sad, but most parents probably feel like this woman here. And then I have some others that are memes. If you're unfamiliar with the meme, it's a picture with a few words on top. So what if I told you being in school is much better than working every day and having adult responsibilities? Maybe some of you that have kids complaining about going back to school could share this with them. And then here's the next one. Summer is over, a time to officially remember what day of the week it is. That's more probably for the students uh, than the adults in here. And then another one. I uh, think this, this picture kind of describes, you see the girl with the backpack, she looks like she's decently excited about school, but if you look in the, uh, the bottom or the side left over there, there's another child that might describe somebody else in your home. So these different images, you can go to the next slide if you want, describe the feelings that maybe some of you have going back to school. And since school starts this week, I wanted to, to give some truths some keys that maybe won't be in the syllabuses that syllabi that uh, your students receive this week. And so you might be thinking as you're sitting there like, I'm not going back to school. Or you might be thinking like, I don't have any kids or anybody like that that's going back to school. Does this apply to me? Yes, I'm just using this uh, as a gimmick to get these five truths across to you. Okay, so stay with me, pay attention. Okay, these five truths are applicable to more than just as we head back to school. Uh, so whether you are a freshman or whether you're going into your junior year, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a parent of a kindergartner or a parent of someone that's about to graduate um, or a grandparent of someone that's about to graduate or if you're just simply reflecting on what it means to go back to school this time of year, one thing is for sure, you're going to need more than notebooks and pencils and a strong backpack uh, to, to get through this next year. What you need is truth. And I want to share some of these truths with you this morning together. And the first one is this. Just showing up might not be enough. Just showing up might not be enough. Uh, there are times I remember at school where it felt like didn't really have to do much to get by. Um, this really rocked me my senior year. You know, I would do my homework and I would do my assignments and things like that. But my senior year, I had this one class. It was a uh, a calculus class, and the teacher in there did not require that you do homework. And since he did not require that, I didn't always do it like I should. My parents are here, so I feel a little uncomfortable sharing this with you and them. This might be a revelation to them. So I didn't always do it like I needed to. And it, I mean, I really suffered in that class. It was difficult to kind of keep my head above water. And it was, in fact, looking back on it, it was a really beneficial thing to me because I'm glad I learned that lesson then while in high school instead of later on while I was in college that can't just show up and expect to do well. And, and maybe, maybe you're that type of person where you just show up and it goes great for you. Or maybe just showing up is actually a success. Um, but I think this is the case for school. You, you can't just rely on just showing up and that being enough. But this doesn't just apply to school. This applies to church as well. Just showing up might not be enough. Now, maybe in your situation, it is. Maybe it is a big accomplishment to just show up. Maybe you have 
little kids at home and just getting them dressed with somewhat, you know, clothes that don't have stains on them or getting them out the door on a reasonable time and getting them here. Maybe that is an accomplishment. And and I agree, uh, having three kids, that that can be an accomplishment. But just showing up uh, might not be enough for you. I remember getting a haircut uh, a little while back and whenever you get a haircut, it's that kind of... like there's this captive audience right there. And so usually they'll try to talk to you and ask you questions. They usually ask you what you do for a living. And so I'll, I'll tell them that I work at a church and that usually either kills the conversation immediately or they try to share something about their experience with church, whether, you know, the church they go to now and what they're excited about or, or growing up and going to their grandparents' church or something like that. And I remember this recently had a, had a haircut experience where they said the phrase, you know, I try to go to church when I can. I try to go when I can. And I, you know, I wanted to push back on that a little bit, but she had scissors, and so I didn't. Uh, but understand this, God's highest calling for you is not going to church. God's highest calling for you was never going to church. His calling is for you to live like Christ. And just going to church while In some cases, that can be the first step or can be a great accomplishment. That is not enough. And if we get this idea in our heads that I'll go when I can, I think there's some danger to that. Psalm 92, verse 12 through 15 that Ryan read for says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. I love the imagery from Psalm 92. The righteous flourish. Flourish. It's not a word we use that often. In fact, I was talking with my wife and we were kind of having a disagreement on how to even pronounce the word flourish. I won't tell you who won there, but the righteous flourish. We don't use that description, but there's this idea there of, of growth, growing spiritually, the strength, uh, having a strong faith. I like the idea of the old bearing fruit, staying fresh and green, thriving, prospering, increasing. Unfortunately, so many don't experience those good things that are described in Psalm 92. Instead of flourishing, feel spiritually dry. Instead of thriving, maybe feel emotionally withered. Instead of connected, we feel relationally barren. Instead of fulfilled, we just find ourselves searching for something that matters. And in this imagery in Psalm 92, we get these two trees. We get a cedar and a palm tree. I don't know much about trees or anything like that, but doing a little bit of research, a cedar, if you're familiar, is is a durable tree. It's a, a strong tree. It's attractive. It's got a good aroma to it. A palm tree, the, the branches of palm trees would be given to uh, Olympic victors. Jesus, as he's entering Jerusalem, they would have these palm branches as he entered there, if you remember that. Both of these types of trees, they're evergreens. They thrive. They produce, produce life year-round. They flourish. And so that description is a good one. It is a meaningful one to how we should be. A seed can only grow if it is planted. Going to church usually isn't the same as being planted. Can't just go once a week or a couple times a week and expect to have deep roots that allow you to grow and bear fruit. Oftentimes, when we talk about going to church, we think, well, I'll go when I can, go when I'm not busy, go when I'm not tired, I'll go when there's not a game. 
Planted is very different. Planted is, is never saying, you know, I think we should go to church today or are we going to church? And hear me on this. There, there might be some, though, that going to church is an accomplishment and a success. I don't want you to hear me and think that I'm not saying that. But eventually, if we want to experience this flourishing growth, there's got to be more than that. God's church isn't a part of our lives. It is our life. Church is not a place to go. It is not a destination. It's not a building. It's a people. Your life is a seed. And in order to grow, you must be planted. Your roots need to grow deep. And so maybe, you know, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you thought to yourself, well, I've tried. It didn't work. Well, understand this. Trees don't grow overnight. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you, you've been in a while and you thought to yourself about this and it's frustrating, the best time, I've heard this before, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Maybe you've heard this saying, but the next best time, guess what, is now, is today. And so maybe you haven't planted yourself or your family the way that you want, have wanted to. Uh, start now. Start today. Second truth is this. The most important book you'll read this fall or this semester or this year is your Bible. I know that's such a, such a standard church answer there, but it is the truth. Because of, if you're in school or going into school, because of all the assigned readings and homework and projects on top of sports and other activities or your job or, or other things that are going on, you'll be tempted to sideline your Bible reading until the next test has passed or the next project is done or the next break is here. If you would, flip in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 for a minute. I want you to see something in Mark chapter 1 about Jesus and what he does when it comes to his relationship with his father. In Mark 1, and I love the gospel of Mark because we get just quick, uh, quick little paragraphs on things that are happening. And we see all these things that happen in Mark 1. We see uh, towards the end of the chapter, Jesus is driving out evil spirits. He's healing many people. And he's had this amazingly productive day. And then he goes to sleep at night. There's a whole group of them there. And if anybody, if you've had a really productive day, the next morning, especially if you don't have something big going on, you might want to sleep in a little bit. You can almost imagine convincing yourself like, you know what, I've earned this. Okay, I've earned this time to be able to, to sleep in and, and get some rest. But notice what Jesus does in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Everybody else is still asleep. It is still dark outside. And Jesus, the Son of God, is making a point to make it a priority to find this extra time to spend with his Father. And if it was important enough for the Son of God to find time to do this, how much more important is it for us to find time to spend with our Heavenly Father? Spend time in prayer. Spend time studying his word. In Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, Moses is giving this, this charge, this speech, these, these advice that he wants to give the Israelite people. And he has this verse, in, or he has this quote he says in verse 47, talking about uh, the words from Scripture, talking about the words that he's saying. He's saying, these are not just idle words for you. They are your life. These words are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Are these words your life? They should be. They are the source of life. Nothing can replace the wealth that you will find 
in God's word. Nothing will prepare you better for life or for your family or for your job or even your next class than staying in the Bible. And it is so easy for all of us, whether you are a student or whether you haven't been a student for a long time, it is so easy for us to sideline that and to put that off staying in God's word. But we must make it a priority. It is the most important book that you'll read this fall. You stand with me? All right, number three. Here's the third thing. Someone younger than you needs you. Someone younger than you needs you. I remember starting out high school and we moved, my family moved from Houston, Texas to, to Memphis. And there was this high school, it's weird, the high school I went to was Houston High School. So it was weird moving from Houston and going to Houston High School. Anyway, so very nice high school, have some good memories there. But that first day of high school as this new freshman, man, I was so so nervous, so anxious. I didn't know anybody. And I remember going to classes and all I was thinking about those first few periods of the day was really one thing. And it was, who am I going to sit with at lunch? Who am I going to sit with at lunch? And I, I was meeting some people in different classes and I'd ask them what lunch they had and they didn't have my lunch. And finally the time came to go to lunch and I'd brought a, a sack lunch that day and I'd go into the lunchroom and I had like, I had nobody to sit with. All these faces, I didn't know anybody. And man, like I was, I was anxious about it. So I just go and I sit down at this table by myself. It was very very sad, uh, very, very sad picture, but it gets happier because what happens next is I'm sitting there by myself and these three older guys just come over and sit at my table and they didn't make a big deal about, Hey, you're sitting by yourself. You know, let's come, you know, make you feel better. They just came over and sat with me and we talked for a while and it was exactly what I needed, right? It was like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders where I was anxiously sitting there scanning the room looking for someone that maybe would sit with me or that I could get up and go sit with. And these guys came to me, right? They saw this younger little tiny guy, right, who needed a friend and they were a friend to me, right? And they, and they sat with me for a couple of days and then they kind of moved on and I found some different people to sit with. But man, it was exactly what I needed. And so for the students, I would say, as you go off to school this year, find somebody younger than you that needs you. But this is not just a back-to-school lesson. There is someone, whether it's somebody younger than you or someone that you interact with every day, maybe it is a neighbor, maybe it is uh, another parent at the school that your kids go to, maybe it is your boss or your employee that needs you. They need someone to sit with them or they need someone just to be with them as they are going through maybe an anxious, difficult time of life. I remember going on through high school and uh, especially that freshman year, uh, there were some older guys in my youth group. Uh, they were seniors. I was a freshman and they just took me under their wing. And I remember one, one weekend night, they asked me to come hang out with them. And that was like the coolest thing in the world for them to do that, right? Didn't cost them anything, but it meant a lot to me. Just a simple going out of their way uh, had a true, tremendous impact on me and my future. We need to be doing that as well. There's a story in 1 Kings about the prophet Elijah. And he goes and he's going to mentor this up-and-coming prophet, Elisha. And there's this cool image we get as Elijah goes to kind of anoint Elisha to be this prophet. And he takes his cloak and he puts it around Elisha. And doesn't even really say anything to him as he does it. And immediately Elijah goes and he like 
burns all of his stuff and he sells his stuff and he decides to go with Elijah to be uh, kind of his apprentice in a sense. And I've always thought about that story and like, what happened to that cloak? Does he give it right back to Elijah? Um, I wonder a little bit if Elisha hung on to that cloak. And it's this cool memory of this time where Elijah shows him, hey, I believe in you. Come follow me, right? Come and be a part of this thing together. Who is it that you need to put your cloak around? Who is it that needs you? Who can you be a mentor to? There's probably someone in this church that needs needs you right now. Someone younger than you is watching you, probably wants to be like you. And whether you choose to be or not, you are a role model for someone. Uh, On our mission trip, that we took to Atlanta, um, we spent some time with these, these little kids at this camp that we were at. But one of the things I was trying to impress to the teenagers is that our mission is not just our trip, okay? Our mission doesn't start and stop when we go to this camp and spend time with these little children during the day. It doesn't stop when we leave it and head to lunch. Our mission is happening continually, right? Our mission impacts when we stay in people's homes at night, when we go into a McDonald's or, or eat a meal, the people that we interact with, everybody that we come into contact with, we need to be thinking about our mission. Same is true for us every day. We need to realize that the mission is not a trip. The mission is love and loving everyone that we come into contact with. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls all his disciples without distinction to be making more disciples. It is, a, it is a job, it is a calling for all of us. So keep your eyes open for that guy or girl that is trying to find someone to look up to and spend some time and energy consistently pointing them even further to Christ. Fourth thing, fourth truth. The classroom isn't for comparisons. Um, Oftentimes, I think this happens, like, listen, we're competitive people. I am a very competitive person. Even as, like, I had two brothers, and so I think naturally we were pretty competitive. And we, my parents can attest to this, we turned everything into a competition, just made up games. There's this one time where I was playing my older brother in something, and he likes to remind me about this all the time. I was playing him in this game, and I lost, and I got really upset. I think I was like six or seven teen or no six or seven I think I lost and I was really upset and I just like threw this fit and my dad sent me to my room and I was so angry with my brother mainly I was angry with myself that I lost that I remember turning to him and he was about six years older than me and I said something to him like I'm gonna ruin your life is basically what I what I told him as I left uh and I was just you know because we're competitive right everything is a competition and this can happen at schools in our classrooms and guess what this can also happen in our churches as well where we, can, we live in South Alabama. Everything from college football to checkers can be competitive, right? We turn everything into a comparison and a competition. Social media doesn't help with that as well. And so we do this. We're guilty of this. There's a story about uh, this tribe in the Philippines and in in kind of the rainforest area in the Philippines. And there's this tribe of hunters and gatherers and They'd kind of go around, they'd wear these loincloths, very primitive people. And several years ago, this missionary family, they were working with them, and they started up this game of croquet in the front yard. I don't know if you ever played croquet before. We used to play it at my grandparents' house, right? And 
Uh, it's this game with mallets and these balls. You've got to hit them through these, these like half-circle wickets. And so the, the people and this tribe that these missionaries were working with started to watch these missionaries play this game of croquet. Soon they wanted to play too. And so the missionaries explained the game and they gave each of the tribe members a mallet and a ball. Halfway into the game, one of the natives had his ball kind of bump up against another person's ball. And in croquet, what you do is you can put your foot on your ball and you can knock the other person's ball off the course or far away. It makes it really difficult for them and it's also really fun to do. And so the native of this tribe understood what the missionary was saying but couldn't comprehend why anyone would want to do it. And so he said, why would I want to knock his ball off the court? So the missionary replied, so you'll be the one to win. And the native kind of shook his head in bewilderment. And in their culture, competition and winning is not important because they're a hunting and, and gathering society. People survive not by competing, but they survive by working together. And so as the game continued, none of the natives followed the missionary's advice. And in fact, when the first player successfully got through all the wickets, he didn't see himself as the, as the winner, as the victor. For him, the game wasn't over. So he went back and he gave advice and encouragement to the others. And finally, when the last wicket was played by the last player, they all shouted happily, we win, we win, we win. And that idea seems so foreign, right? I wouldn't do that if I was playing a game, unless it's like with little kids or something. We want to win, right? But for them and this, these natives here, to them winning was not about one person succeeding. It was about all of them working together and succeeding together. As the church, let's be quick to celebrate others. Let's be slow to speak of our own successes. Let's be slow to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Remember that you are a sinner bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. And in all of your good papers, all of your projects, all of your tests, it is God working through you for his glory. So let's not see everything as a competition or a comparison. And then finally, the fifth truth to share that you might not find in the syllabus is everyone needs the gospel, even the A students. Whatever grades may say, none of us really measure up. Romans 3 talks about this idea that, that not one of us measure up. Regardless of how hard you work this fall or this year, whether it's at school or your job or whatever it is you're trying to succeed at, you will fail. You will have a, a moment where you fail. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One more verse to look at together. Go to Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. Romans 5, 6 through 8. I think I've, I've I know I've told the story with the teens, but, and I think I've told it in here, but I'm going to tell it again anyway, so sorry for that. Uh, when Ethan was much younger, uh, probably like 18 months or so, we were walking around our, the, the last church that we worked at, walking around that church building, and there was this really nice preschool there. And in one of the rooms, they had this huge play kitchen. And Ethan had never really been in this room before. So my, Crystal was walking him around, and he's kind of singing and dancing. And he's at the phase in life when he was learning new words. It was constantly like, oh, there's a new word. I haven't heard him say that word before. And so this is a time where I remember him saying this word for the very first time. So Crystal kind of goes into this room, and 
He's singing and dancing, and then he sees this kitchen playset, and he stops in his tracks. And for the very first time, he lets out the word, whoa, whoa. And it was such a cool thing because it was a natural, genuine, authentic response to something that stopped him in his tracks. He saw this amazing thing, and his only response was, whoa, amazement, astonished at how neat and awesome this thing was. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8 says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. And then listen to this part. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whoa. Now, we don't say woe to this verse that often because we've heard it so many times. We know this verse. We're familiar with this idea. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know this. And I think because we have heard this passage so many times and because we are so familiar with it, it's lost some of that amazement to it. We don't stop in our tracks. We aren't as astonished about the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we should be. And we should remember that. And we should also remember that no matter how many A's we make on tests, no matter how many promotions we get, no matter how many successes that we have, everyone needs the gospel. And the reason for that is because everyone is a sinner. But thank God that while we were still sinners, he died for us. This morning, maybe you're here and maybe just showing up has kind of been enough for you in the past. Um, Just coming and and sitting in a pew has been an accomplishment. At some point, that should not, that should no longer be enough. And it's got to be more than that. Whether it's getting involved in some sort of ministry, whether it's uh, growing closer to, to Christ in some way, whether it's having some conversations that are uncomfortable, we have to move beyond that. This morning, maybe you haven't been studying God's word like you should. You haven't been prioritizing a relationship with him. And you need to do that. This morning, maybe you realize that there are some people around you that need you and you've not been ignoring it, but you've sort of been putting off maybe having a conversation uh, that you need to have or putting your arm around somebody that needs that. This morning, maybe you are are realizing how much you have been comparing yourself to others, how competitive you've been. You've sort of turned uh, your faith into this competition and that needs to change. This morning, maybe you realize that you need the gospel, that you need uh, to recognize that the blood of Jesus needs to wash away your sins so that you can have a relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you need to respond to this invitation, if you need to be baptized into Christ and start your walk with Jesus, or if you just need the prayers and encouragement of your church family here, we want to offer you that opportunity. Whatever need you have this morning, won't you come now as together we stand and sing.